Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is an entertaining animated hero movie whose alter ego is a morality everyman play about the value of persistence and faith in self. Are you just watching? Episode 91, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. And I'm Iron Man. I mean, Tim Merton. <laughs> yes. Well, we are going back in time to when Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse came out, because when it originally hit theaters, I wasn't really all that interested. I was moderately interested. I know I've commented before that I'm getting a little burned out on superhero stuff. And this is a bad spring for that, isn't it? Yeah, boy, it's never. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't stop me from wanting to see him. I, I wanted to see, see Spider-Verse because I heard it was good. I want to see Shazam, and I'm committed to seeing Endgame. Oh, of course, we have to go see and Endgame. And, of course, Far From Home comes out the next month. <laughs> so eventually I'll get back to a regular movie someday. And we will get back to a regular movie. This is not what we're always going to be. Not by a long shot. We leave that for our brothers at Welcome to Level 7. <laughs> it just happens that it ran in several episodes where we're going to be in a superhero trend for a little while. But we'll, we'll get into something else. Of course, the next Spider-Man movie comes out this summer. So. Mm-hmm. But still, uh, it, as far as superhero stuff goes, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, mm -hmm. my hands-down favorite MCU. Well, wow. Is it really MCU? I don't think my it counts My hands-down as... favorite Marvel movie. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think it's MCU because it's outside of what all of these other movies have done. Yeah, yeah. Well, it could be that the MCU is just another An alternate, dimension. alternate dimension, yeah. Well... The score for Spider-Verse, I think we'll just call it Spider-Verse. It's way, way, yeah. way too long of a title. <laughs> <laughs> the score for Spider-Verse is by Daniel Pemberton, whom I know from the King Arthur movie, which was not a good movie. I'm sorry. Some people may disagree with me on that, but I did not. Is that the, the recent one? It's the King Arthur that was kind of done to – it had a modern feel to it, but – I the movie, in my opinion, was not good. It just was not good at all. And I don't know of anything that I can praise about it, except it had a very unique soundtrack. And that soundtrack was by Daniel Pemberton. And I use it a lot when I'm working around the house because I can put it on. It's instrumental, but it's um, very upbeat. And with a driving industrial rhythm, it keeps me up and moving when I need to work. That's cool. I recognized portions of that industrial rhythm in the Spider-Verse score. And so it didn't surprise me at all to look up and find out that it was Daniel Pemberton who did the score. There's a lot of music in this movie as well, but he did the score. Yeah. And, you know, I think in this movie in particular, the way that they did the score and the music and the sound design in particular, I thought was all really well done. Yeah. This movie was spectacular in several ways, and we'll get to that in a minute. But let me play just a little bit of the score so you can hear what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So you're wondering why Spider-Man is my absolute favorite superhero. It's starting to be edged out by Daredevil, but Spider-Man has always been my favorite. (laughs) Why I didn't want to see this movie. And I think it's because I'm old school Spider-Man fan. And I really feel like Miles Morales is more of a new generation Spider-Man. And it just didn't appeal to me at all. Peter Parker has always been my Spider-Man. And that was who I wanted to see as Spider-Man. And so having a new alter ego for Spider-Man just didn't appeal to me at all. That's that's interesting. I'm exactly the opposite. I have been getting tired of Peter Parker. Uh, It seems like... Sure, they've they've redone him a different a, a couple different ways. Uh, the Tom Holland version, I'm particularly and I'm not, enjoying. I'm not not necessarily speaking from a movie standpoint either. I'm speaking from ah. the comic book Peter Parker, not necessarily the movie versions of him. Yeah, but... gotcha. Um, it's I I like the idea that they have been that they branched out. And brought in different Spider-Men. And I I like the Miles Morales Spider-Man. I like him better in the movie than I did in the comic books, which I I actually have a Marvel Unlimited subscription. So I was able to go back and reread some of the original Morales ones. Mm-hmm. I, I like the multicultural aspect of, uh, of bringing Morales in, particularly... It's an African-American, well, a, a mixed-race family, really, because yeah. his mother is Hispanic, Hispanic and his father is African-American. So it really speaks more to the current situation. Although, I, I don't know how long ago they actually, well, it wasn't that long ago, 2011, that Miles Morales first appeared. That's why I'm telling you that it's a new generation Spider-Man and I'm yeah. old school. I think that was my main problem with it, is that I just, I didn't want to see a re re vision of spider-man i liked spider-man the way he was i didn't think he needed to be redone but i am speaking from someone who was dragged kicking and screaming into this and then when i watched the movie i (laughs) fell in love with it so it's kind of like just like um peter b parker says in the movie at some point i had to re-examine my personal biases (laughs) because this movie was spectacular and the things that i liked about it were the things that had originally maybe prevented me from seeing it. And number one of those was that Spider-Man dies. And Mm -hmm. I have a friend at work who is extremely like over the top, a Marvel fan. He was buying this movie as soon as it came out and I borrowed it from him to watch it the first time. And he kept pushing at me. He's like, oh, this is all about... And he's a much younger guy. So he comes from that generation. I guess I'm Uh. just too old, but... He just kept going on about how Peter Parker had died. And I'm like, no, Spider-Man can't die. And he was like, no, he died in the comic books. And I'm like, no, that comic book can't exist. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I was really adverse to that idea. But I think this movie did a fabulous job of passing on the torch, I guess you should say, between the Spider-Man who is Peter Parker and the Spider-Man who is Miles Morales. It wasn't like they just re-envisioned the character and started over. It was like they more passed the torch on. And I can get behind that a little lot better than replacing Peter Parker with Miles Morales like Peter Parker never existed. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. We'll get to origin stories <laughs> <Yeah>. later. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things that I think that this movie did so well was from a graphic uh, novel standpoint, 
the animation just breaks the mold. It is it is like something completely original. Does it ever? I have seen animated movies that you know they're they're animated movies, but this movie is a comic book that's been animated. I don't know how else yeah. you can put it. it. It's an animated graphic novel. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, the fact that they brought in the alternate universe idea by actually having all the characters animated a different way based on the universe they're from. And, and then they mix them all together in a very cohesive way. And it's, it's just amazing. I, I thought they did a fabulous job. Yeah. That animation style that they used really provided a great foundation for bringing in the, the alternate reality spider people. Mm -hmm. Once you get past Peter Porker walking in, <laughs> Spider-Ham walking up and saying, oh, it can get weirder. Yeah. Once you get past that, the animation style provides a foundation where you can believe all of them are coexisting in, in the same frame of reference. And I thought that was really one of the strongest points of the movie. And I really, really enjoyed this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then they kept the humor moving, which is, I, to be honest, I really felt like they got Peter Parker's uh, snark down better in this movie than any of the other movies with Peter Parker in them in the recent memory. Yeah, and, I agree. Uh, and both Peter Parkers, both of them. And they were played by different guys. But I, I, it's funny that when they're talking about the cast, they always talk about the alternate reality Peter Parker's and they never talk about the guy who plays the one who dies. Yeah. And well, I not in there that long. Yeah. Well, he's not in there that long, but he does a fabulous job of playing Peter Parker. I mean, it's, he, he has the lines down. I think my favorite line is when he first meets up, he, he says, um, Norman, listen to me. Spider-Man. I cannot let you open a portal to another dimension. Brooklyn is not zoned for that. <laughs> Staten Island, maybe. <laughs> I, I just, I just love his attitude, and that—that's the thing that I have always loved about the Peter Parker character is that he—he yeah. he meets every situation with that smack of star of lighthearted sarcasm. It's not deep, you know, doom into the world sarcasm. It's. It's lighthearted sarcasm. Yeah. And he faces the world with that. It's like his shield. And I've always mm -hmm. liked that about Peter Parker. And I think they actually did Peter Parker better in this movie, yeah. which was all about Miles Morales, but they did Peter Parker better as well. So it's, you know, I've seen this three times now, saw it in the theater with the kids around Christmas and then uh, watched it a couple weeks ago with my wife who wasn't able to go when we saw it in the theater. And then I did uh, our, you know, our standard notes pass earlier this week. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until the notes pass this week that I realized who plays the, who does the voice for the original Peter Park, uh, Peter Parker. And I felt a little embarrassed that I didn't catch it earlier. Mm -hmm. it, the captain of the enterprise himself, Chris Pine. Oh, well that makes perfect sense then. Yeah. But it's, it's. I guess I just assumed that it was the same guy voicing both Peter Parkers. No, but it's, it's not. No, no, and it, it's just funny to me that they, they he gets so little notice because when I watched a lot of the extras on the Blu-ray, they were always talking about the cast of the alternates and you know the alternate universe Spider People, but they yeah. didn't ever talk about 
the original Spider-Man, the original Prime. Peter Parker. Spider Peter Parker Prime. Yeah. <laughs> Say so, that ten times fast. Yeah. So I just I thought he did a terrific job for as little and I can't even say screen time because his voice is not on the screen, but you know what I mean? For as little yeah. time as he had in the movie, he did a spectacular job. And Peter B. Parker is a different kind of Spider-Man because he has a different history. I mean, the same origin, but a different history because he's been Spider-Man for 22 years instead right. of 10. It's, uh, you know, a lot of that goes to uh, the really smart writing that they uh, that they did for all the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, it just ties everything together. Too, and and they really nailed. Uh, I meant to look it up, but I didn't. I forgot to. They really nailed the, you know, the snark, like you mm-hmm. said, and uh, between the the smart writing and the superb delivery of all of the Spider Men, uh, it just really does make such a cohesive movie for me. Yeah. And then when you put the way that the comic book presentation of the graphics underpins everything i guess is uh is really the way uh for instance when miles morales starts coming into his powers as the new spider-man there's a shift in how the movie is animated mm-hmm. uh, because it, it goes from this being like an everyday animated movie to yeah 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 exactly to, to comic book <laughs> exactly you're in a comic book now yeah uh, I love the scene where he's walking down the hallway and he's saying, can they hear my thoughts? Oh, wow. She's really tall. But... <laughs> Why are my thoughts so loud? Exactly. It's, it was just so spot on. Yeah. There's so much to gush about, but we don't want to waste too much time gushing about all of this stuff because it's all great, <laughs> you know, but we want to talk about the themes that that are important to this movie because there were some that were really obvious and we want to make sure yeah. we touch on all of those. Uh, I will re- remind our listeners that they can go to plugged in to see the plugged in review about whether, you know, how family friendly it is though, to be honest, this movie was very family friendly. So I don't know that there's anything truly horrible in there at all, but do check that out uh, for a deeper review of what's good and what's bad mm-hmm. in the movie. So our first theme, and I think the most obvious theme in the movie is Miles standing in as like an everyman character. And when I mean what I mean by everyman is is kind of like this morality metaphor, uh, like the original play Everyman, and it's it's kind of become a, a bit of a of a stand-in for like a character who is a metaphor for a group of people, kind of like Christian is in Pilgrim's Progress. You know, where he's a title character that goes through a bunch of struggles that is supposed to represent the struggles that a, a group of people similar to him yeah. would go through. So Miles Morales is definitely presented in this movie as an everyman character and literally every man, <laughs> all of us as as in he stands in for everybody. And there's a few lines in this movie, I think, stand out as pointing that out. One of the ones that I really liked was almost the first you see of him. He's on, got his headphones on and he's uh, drawing his little stickers in his room. And he's humming along to his favorite song in the headphones and he's getting the lyrics all wrong. Now, 
I know that this is something that I did when I was his age, and I'm sure it's something that you did when you were his age. And I still do. And we still do. You don't know the words to the song, so you just kind of like, <laughs> over the lines you don't know. Yeah, so I, almost from the beginning, he's presented doing something that we can all relate to, regardless of what kind of music we listen to, what kind of culture we live in. He stands in for all of us in that way. Mm -hmm. And then there's another, when he's on his way to school, he makes the comment about that he wants to, he would prefer to be in a normal school among the people. And he she, wants to be among his own people. His own people. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the scene that I think is the most, and I'm going to play this quote, is during uh, Mary Jane's eulogy for her husband, Peter Parker. So I'm going to play portions out of her eulogy. I don't want to play the whole thing. My husband, Peter Parker, was an ordinary person. He always said it could have been anyone behind the mask. He was just a kid who happened to get in. He didn't ask for his powers. But he chose to be Spider-Man. My favorite thing about Peter is that he made us each feel powerful. We all have powers of one kind or another. But in our own way, we are all Spider-Man. And we're all counting on you. They're counting on me. Probably not you specifically. I, I think it's a metaphor. So I think it was very interesting that they stuck this line in. Probably not you specifically. I think it's a metaphor. Because Miles is a metaphor. <laughs> Yeah. If he's standing as an as an everyman character, he is a metaphor. And so I just thought that was funny. They actually said it in in the script of the movie. But he's without a, breaking the fourth wall, which is always nice. Yeah. Even though they did sort of beat you over the head with the, the whole everyman theme here, I liked how they presented it. And because, uh, you know, Miles is finding himself just if in the most obscene situations as far as being in danger and and whatnot uh, just by basic choices he he went out with his uncle Aaron to tag a blank wall and through going back to find the spider that bit him he ends up uh, stumbling into a fight between an enormous green goblin mm -hmm. and Spider-Man uh, Peter Parker Prime yeah yeah so he's he's finding himself in these situations, and when you take into account um, Mary Jane's quote about uh, we are all Spider-Man, uh, to me it really talked about how we are called to do right regardless of the situation that we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. We are never anywhere by chance. And we're never outside of God's care. It's for me, uh, this one brought uh, Luke 12, 6 through 7 to mind, which is uh, aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid, you are more, worth more than many sparrows. And that's Luke 12, 6 through 7. So 
I guess uh, even though we find ourselves called to be a hero, we have to remember that we're being called to be a hero in any given situation because it's part of God's plan. Yeah, I'm not not entirely sure I would agree with the called to be a hero portion, but we are called to do right. Mm. I I think hero might be a strong word because hero usually implies where you're standing out to do things on your own in in an empowered way. And I think that that's kind of opposite of, of Christian living because we, we are the hands and feet of Christ. We are not Christ. So we we have to, yeah, I I don't see being a hero as, as standing out, but doing the right, I really showing character, uh, doing the right thing, even when nobody is looking. And when I think of somebody who's called to be a hero, honestly, I think of, uh, the men and women in the in the armed forces, particularly those who find themselves in foreign countries, uh, making very difficult decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not they make the right decision is whether or not they answer the call to be the hero. Yeah, and I'm I'm just wrapping this back around to a more of a Christian outlook because yeah, as uh, I, I mean, yes, we can talk about everyday heroes or you know people in the armed forces or you know, firefighters or police or any of these people who put their lives in the line of duty, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it's, those are everyday heroes that deserve accolade, accolades for what they do. But I'm thinking from a Christian living standpoint that we are not heroes in the faith. We are oh. merely the hands and feet of God doing his will. And mm-hmm. if, if we're so busy being heroes, then we're trying to do things in, in the wrong mentality because it's not about us. It's about him. So I think that was the twist I was trying to put on it. So how would you delineate then between being a hero and being a saint in that distinction? Well, being a saint just means you're living a Christian life. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm speaking as a, as somebody who is not a um, Catholic because Catholics actually venerate saints, but our right our our portion I was as, thinking more in the biblical yeah the saint, biblical yeah. the biblical saint is just means a person who is walking with the lord we are his hands and feet and we we work through the power of the spirit and it's not us it's not it's never about us and it's never through us and it's never with our power it's all christ it's all god if we are living a christ centered life, then we are portraying Christ, not ourselves. And so I don't see anything in the Christian walk that says that we are to be heroic. Because heroic would be more of a self-centered, more of a putting yourself forward rather than putting God forward. I it may seeking be our, glory. Seeking glory. I think it may be more of a difference in how we're defining the word hero, but that's... Yeah, yeah, that's, I, th- I definitely think it is. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, for me... Uh, you cannot be a hero if you seek your own glory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think back to uh, the original Incredibles with Syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he w- he definitely was not a hero. Um, even when he was saving those people, he was doing it specifically to seek his own glory. Yeah, for me, the definition of hero includes the fact that you cannot be there not by choice, but by necessity. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I just, to me, there's a shade of meaning there in that heroes, in my mind, it's not so much that they seek their own glory, but they are, are working out of their own power. 
or that there's something special about them that makes them stand out. And I think that in in the Christian walk, there's nothing about us that makes us special or heroic. It's all God. It's all Christ. And, and but, in that, but God is our superpower. <laughs> no, God is his own superpower. He just works through us. <laughs> I guess I'm I'm taking it a little bit less off of us and a little bit more onto him is what I'm trying to say. Now, my position on this whole everyman thing is that there's there's actually an everyman presented in scripture. And I think a lot of people miss it, but it's in 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 49, it says, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit, but it is not... The spirit that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. So continuing in this passage, and I think it's in Romans as well. I couldn't find it off the top of my head, but it, it refers to Adam as being the father of mankind. And we, and he is like, he represents man in, 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 as an every man kind of metaphor and that he is... He is all of sinful hum humanity. That's what he represents. And then Christ yeah. is the last Adam and that he reverses what the first Adam did and brings salvation from sin to every man because we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So in standing, so this idea that there's one person who can stand in for a lot of people is actually kind of biblical because Adam stood in for all of us in that he sinned and he made us all sinners. And then Christ stood in for all of us and that he went toward the cross and paid the penalty for everybody's sin on the cross and, and then rose again to become victorious over that sin. And because he was that stand in for every man, then our sins are imputed to him and we are, are free because of what he did. So there it's like a double metaphor there for all of humanity. So you have yeah. have the one versus the other. Well, doesn't Adam literally mean man in Hebrew? Yeah, and I think that's where woman came from as well, because she yeah. came out of Adam. Yeah, from from man. Yeah, yeah. So that is probably the biggest metaphor, and I would imagine about the biggest theme. And the heaviest one too. The most obvious <laughs> one, as I put it in our in our outline, it, it kind of hits you over the head like Spider Ham's hammer. So. <laughs> but it fits in your pocket. Yeah, it fits in your pocket. <laughs> so the second theme, and this one is almost as heavy in the movie, but not quite. And one of the reasons I liked this theme a little bit more was because it it's interspersed in lines, uh, very rapid fire, very West Wing-ish, <laughs> I guess. Uh, very fast lines where it, it, if you don't uh, if you don't catch it. But the, it, it appears in the movie so many times. Yes. Um, no matter how many hits I take, I always find a way to, to, to get back up or to come. Yeah. We hear it in two of the origin stories, which is the, both the Peter Parker stories, actually. Mm -hmm. The original Peter Parker, who starts the movie out, or Peter Parker Prime, I guess we could call call him. He does his, his little origin stories one more time. Let's do this again. And he goes through his little origin story. So no matter how many hits I take... Always find a way to come back. Because the only thing standing between this city and oblivion is me. And then when we hear Peter B. Parker's origin story, he says it in a very similar way. Because you know what? No matter how many times I get hit, I always get back up. And then it applies to Miles when 
he's kind of ganged up on by all the spider people because he he puts himself <laughs> sort of feel gangy. Yeah, uh, he puts himself forward as being the one who's going to save them all, and and they start you know pointing out all his flaws, which you know can you do this and can you do that, and so this line is delivered. Above all, no matter how many times you get hit, can you get back up? So they're forcing him into that role as Spider-Man because that seems to be like the unifying uh, feel of Spider-Man is that he, when no matter how many hits he takes, he gets back up. And it's persistence. I mean, that's what keeps him going. So the, for me, the persistence theme here uh, speaks really strongly to how we're supposed to be persistent in Christ. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, in Spider-Verse, it's, it's all about getting back up to do right. And mm-hmm. really, that's, that's what it is for us, too. We just have a different source of our rightness. We have the true right. We have, mm-hmm. uh, we have God, who is <laughs> everything that's good. He's holy. He's, uh, it's so obvious to me. It's sort of hard to find words. <laughs> but it's the same way. You know, in, in Spider-Verse, we see them take a hit and, and do a face, a really hard face plant. Uh, but they still get back up, and that's what we're called to do uh, as Christians, too. Uh, no matter uh, how many times we get knocked down, we need to get back up. Uh, you think of how many times Spider-Man is knocked down. We should be willing to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, 70 times 7 more time. <laughs> it's because it, here, Spider-Man, he's fighting for New York. He's fighting for the health and safety of, of all the people in the city, but we're fighting for the eternal soul. Right. Uh, We should be so much more willing to, to get back up. Not only get uh, back up, but even put ourselves in harm's way to begin with. Yeah. I I thought it was interesting. There's a, a secular song. It's not a Christian song called the prayer. And all of the, if you listen to the lyrics, all of it is, is about, praying to be kept safe and to be safe and to be safe. Mm. And I'm like, that is the complete opposite of Christian living because we're not supposed to attain or strive after safeness. I mean, God keep us safe. That's not what we want to be doing as Christians. It should be God. Give us the opportunities to share. Give us the, you know, we got to be putting ourselves out there. We can't just be sitting on our, in our safe little homes and saying, you know, God keep us safe because that's not, the purpose of Christian living is putting yourself out there and, and fighting the war for Christ. I mean, I don't like to use war terminology because it makes us sound, you know, militant, but in the same way, it is a war. It it says in scripture that it's a spiritual war and we have to be soldiers for the cause and soldiers are not safe. It's not safe to be a soldier. Yeah. I wish I could think of the scripture specifically, but uh, we're reminded that uh, that we are not going to be uh, safe when we're speaking God's word. We're going to be we're going to be hit and we're going to be spit on, persecuted. Yeah, yeah. Knowing that we're not going to be safe, we need to still get back up and go back into that unsafe situation because that's what we're called to do. If God mm-hmm. wanted us to be safe, He wouldn't have given us a great commission. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, Proverbs twenty four sixteen, it says, though a righteous person falls seven times, he will get back up, but the wicked will stumble into ruin. 
And I, I love that one because it has the, the dual meaning of uh, the physically falling and getting back up. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that the righteous person will come out on top in the end. He will get back up. Uh, but the wicked, uh, the wicked person, he, his final stumble will be into the pit of hell. Mm-hmm. And also Second Corinthians 4, 8 and 9, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Yeah. And that is, that can be when, you know, when, (laughs) when you are face planted on the ground and the goblin is standing with his, uh, his gigantic foot on your back, this is the one that you should remember. (laughs) Or the, or the kingpin has, has you down. Yeah, because that's that's, you know, Morales's position right there at the end. And you hear, you know, his dad back in that control room thingy watching on saying, get up, Spider-Man, get up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And, you know, it, it we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge that people out there, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ die for the faith every day, every day. Yeah, it's sad because you don't see it in the news as much as. As you would, I mean, I don't want to see it, but I think it should be broadcast. I, I think somehow our culture, especially, seems to think that Christians are on the top globally, and yeah. we, we aren't. And in especially in Africa, hundreds and thousands of Christians are slaughtered every year. It's just horrible to think. I would not be at all surprised if there were more countries in the world today where. Christianity was a target of hostility than there are where Christianity is accepted. Yeah. Unfortunately, the United States is quickly becoming that way. Yes. And Europe already has. Yeah. Yes. But we are called to be persistent, even though, even if the country should outlaw our faith, we will still be Christians and we will still stand strong because it's not in us and it's not for us. It's for God and God is in us. And so that is what mm-hmm. gives us the strength to stand against persecution. And those of us in here in the West, we've had it easy. We have no clue what it's like <laughs> yeah. to proclaim Christ when there's somebody with a gun in our face or or uh, torturing us or any of the numerous ways that they try to force Christians to renounce their faith. But I feel like even though we have it easy here and we've never felt that kind of persecution, I suspect that if and when the time should come, that Christ in us, it's the spirit in us that gives us the strength to make it through. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it, you know, just as strongly as uh, as this theme was in Miles's training as Spider-Man, mm-hmm. it should be equally strong in our training uh, in sanctification. Right. And, you know, it's cartoon on the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's It's easy to root for the characters on the screen, but when it really happens to us, when we are really crushed down and, you know, accosted by evil that we can't seem to overcome, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It really is hard. And we, we really need to remember that through Christ, we have a way to come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, there's a couple other little, little things that we wanted to talk about. One of the things that's kind of driven home in this movie is an origin story, because every time they introduce a new spider person from an alternate universe, we get a touch of their origin story. And 
of course, we all know Peter Parker's origin story because that's the one that's been done to death in multiple movies. And might I say, as an aside, I love the way that they played homages to the the previous Spider-Man movies as they uh, introduced the uh, Spider-Man Prime. <laughs> um, you could you could actually see the other Spider movies that have come out in in those in those uh, snippets yeah. they did, but each one of them had. Somebody they lost, obviously, in Peter Parker's story, it's his uncle and the whole with great power comes great. No, don't say that. I don't want to hear it. Sorry. <laughs> don't you dare say it. Don't, don't you, you dare, dare finish that. Uh, and then Gwen Stacy uh, actually loses her friend, Peter Parker. So that's her loss. Um, we don't we did hear what the other characters lost. I can't remember off the top of my head. I didn't write it in the notes, but they all lost somebody. That was yeah. that was. uh one of the things they all had in common in their origin story was they all lost someone. And yeah. so Miles hadn't lost anybody. In fact, unlike Peter Parker, he still had his parents and he wasn't raised by his aunt and uncle. A superhero who is not an orphan? Yeah. Has that ever been done? <laughs> but he loses his uncle in the movie and, and that's where this line comes from. My uncle. Hey, where have you been? My uncle you- Aaron, he's... He's, he's the prowler. He, okay, slow down. He slow works for Kingpin. He tried to kill me. This is a pretty hardcore origin story. Actually, I beg to differ. His uncle hadn't died by the point. Yeah, that's true. It was that it, he was this bad. was said. Yeah, he it, was, yeah. He so was, he he lost him. I mean, he lost his idol. The image. Yeah, the image. exactly. The idol of his uncle had been yes. destroyed. <laughs> Yeah. Which is actually a lot deeper now that I think about it, because he had lost his, he had lost the man he idolized. Right, right. Well, that's, it wasn't a loss through death, but it did eventually turn into a loss through death. Yeah. Um, That really is a pretty hardcore origin story. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And the most interesting thing about that is that he had his parental figure, the person he looked up to, knocked off that pedestal. Before mm-hmm. he died. And so, yeah, it definitely was a, a different take on the pain that comes with that. Yeah. And then there was this other line that was delivered, amazingly enough, by our most comic of the comic book heroes, Spider-Ham. Miles, the hardest thing about this job is you can't always save everybody. Yeah, so... The hardest part of this job is that you can't always save everyone. And I think that we've discussed that in previous uh, superhero movies, you know, the the, the inability mm-hmm. to, to be the perfect superhero to always save the day. But I was thinking at this more from the point of view as, you know, we've already discussed that there is this, this origin story that makes um, all of these heroes who they are. And that Miles is a stand-in for every man. So what is it in our lives that make us who we are? And how does that apply to a biblical worldview? It's, I, before we uh, jump into the, the scripture, I just wanted to say that this was the, one of the things that really shined in the writing for me. Um, was uh, stuff like the line by Spider-Man, um, uh, excuse me, Spider-Ham that it was delivered by the most comic character in such a touching way. Mm-hmm. And then the origin, how everyone has an origin story, and some of them are even hidden, which really uh, spoke to me about how smart the writing was. 
there's a line when Peter B. Parker is first introduced to the Doc Ock of Miles Morales' universe, where she says, my friends call me Liv, but my enemies call me Doc Ock. And then a little bit later on in the movie, about 20 minutes later, Doc Ock breaks into Aunt May's house, and Aunt May immediately says, oh, great, it's Liv. <laughs> so Aunt May and and <laughs> and Olivia Octavius were once friends? So there's even this undercurrent of origin story there that, that you only get a taste of, but it makes you think about the origin story. Oh, no. Yeah, that's it's interesting. I wouldn't have made that connection. But at the same time, you would have to realize that the Aunt May of this particular universe would have been used to a female Doc Ock, where it appears that Peter B. Parker's universe had the typical male Doc yeah. Ock. So, well, it's, it, it's not only that, but uh, Aunt May says a couple different lines where she indicates that she built all of Spider-Man's tech. Yeah. Well, she made uh, Morales's web shooters. Yep. Built them myself, she said. Mm -hmm. So it, maybe there's a, a science history there. In, in the PlayStation 4 game Spider-Man, Peter Parker is actually working for Dr. Octavius. Yeah. In a collaborative spider, spider, collaborative science environment. Yeah, I think that was that way in in the uh, Spider Man movies as well. When they, when but, they was he working that. for Doc? Yeah, yeah, he was actually, working yeah, with I him. think you're right. Yeah, I I like that they flipped it up here. A lot of the Spider Man villains are not all evil. It's like they have they have origin stories that are like either that they turned good people into bad, or they have dual personalities like Venom and the Lizard. Or, mm -hmm. you know, they all, it's one of the things that I appreciate about the Spider-Man villains is that they aren't just like super villains that are just evil. They usually yeah, have and some redeeming quality about them. Yeah, you, you see that one, you see that in this one with uh, with Miles' uncle too. Yeah, well, even to some extent, you see it with Kingpin. I mean, the whole reasons, the whole motivation for what he's doing is because he wants his family back. So hmm. there's human portions, I mean... The villains are humanized, I guess, is, is what I'm going for. Yeah. Which, on an, on an aside, I thought was very interesting about the movie is that uh, Doc Ock is um, getting Kingpin's family back for him. But I noticed that she never mentions the fact that all of the alternate reality spider people are suffering cellular decay and dying. So yeah, I, I, you know, sort it's of like, keeping that in her back pocket. Yeah, keeping that in her back pocket that you know he might be able to recover his family, but they probably won't live long. <laughs> it, it, just allow me a quick rabbit trail here. <laughs> One of the trends in modern storytelling that I'm find, starting to find a little bit disturbing, and it may just be that I'm noticing it more and more. It, you know, it's probably been going on all along is the humanization of the evil person. It's important to, to find points of sympathy with every character that you watch. But there are uh, so many things out there now where they take the villain and they make them the hero of their own movie, you know, like that old, uh, that old saying, that mm -hmm. the villain is just a hero of his own story. I think the end result is that it... It makes evil something that's not all that bad. You know, we have shows like Lucifer, 
We have movies like Maleficent, uh, where you're encouraged to to sympathize and even even fall in like with these evil characters. But I'm worried from a Christian worldview standpoint that that is going to end up degrading our sense of right and wrong as a uh, as a people. And um, I, I, I don't think it brings glory to God. I would definitely understand the normalization of evil. And I think that that's been going on culturally for too long. Mm. But at the same time, I, I think we need to remember that there is a difference between people who do sinners and the sin that they partake in because yeah. I, I think the humanization of evil is not as bad as the normalization of hero of evil because the people who do wrong are human and they are uh, sinners that are only, uh, you know, just on the other, other side of salvation. And that's all they need to make them good people is salvation. Whereas yeah. the acts of of evil and sin themselves are are what's wrong, not not the people who do them, and I, I, I so I guess I I I see your point, but I think I, I think my my problem is is not so much in humanizing evil people, but normalizing evil, and yeah. there is a difference there. For, for me, I think the the difference is that the the. Every I, I, everybody's a sinner, right? And everybody, especially those who who are not saved, will always uh, serve um, Satan as a master. Uh, but I think the evil person knows what he is doing is without moral. It is I would say is most amoral. sinners. I would say most sinners do because. <sighs> <laughs> I, I I disagree. I think most sinners are are blind. I think that's why God gives them up in Romans one to because it, there is a point where they become blind. But I I think that well it it does say that the law was given so that we might see ourselves as sinners, and and but it also says that the law is written on our hearts. So I really do feel like that we do know that we're sinners. It says in Romans uh, 2.15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So I really do believe that even a sinner who's lost in sin, who is, has some awareness that, that they're sinning. Oh, okay. Second Corinthians 4, 4 is what I was thinking of. Uh, in their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So I've always interpreted that, that verse specifically as uh, that there is a, a, a level of blindness that, that the unredeemed cannot get past. So I don't think, uh, I don't think that, that there is uh, a level where they will always be able to see the evil nature I think sinners will do evil, but not by intent. I think the evil person, the villain, I think the villains do evil specifically by intent, seeking evil instead of uh, just living. Does that make sense? We may have to agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> okay. 
because that wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, yeah, because I do believe there is a point where someone is irredeemable, but I don't think that humanizing people who do wrong is is wrong is necessarily a bad thing. I don't I, because if we let's put it this way, if we see the Muslim, you know, our our. Mm-hmm as this horrific evil in the world and not as people needing the grace of God, then, I mean, it's, we can declare what they're doing evil, but they are still sinners in need of God. And if we write them off as being evil people, then we write them off as being irredeemable. And that means that we would never try to reach out to them with the grace of God. Yeah, but evil people aren't irredeemable. Not all, not all sinners are villains, but all villains are sinners. <laughs> well, I would say that a villain per se is only somebody who hasn't been saved. So I think what our disagreement comes from is whether there is such a person as a truly evil person who is irredeemable. And yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't see think there that. is. Yeah, I don't see that. And that's the, why the I thief don't, on the cross would suggest there is. Yeah. Well, this, the thing is, is that, Every villain should have a human human part, portion to them because that is what yeah. makes them redeemable. If they weren't human, if they were, they would be Satan. But we, but we should not come to accept their evil actions as necessary. No, and I don't think humanizing them does yeah. that. I, I think humanizing. Uh, I think I think it risks it. Uh, well, I, I'm more concerned about the normalization of of actual sin, which is yeah. what our culture is doing a great deal than I am about the humanization of sinners because sinners sin. I will agree with you that there are a lot of TV shows out there that uh, appear to um, idolize and put on pedestals, evil characters. I'm, I completely agree with you on that. To get back on our topic. So in the origin stories, what I wanted to talk about was the fact that we all have something in our lives that makes us who we are. And a lot of Mm -hmm. times that is, you know, the family we were brought up in the culture we were brought up in, even the country we were brought up in the neighborhood we were brought up in all of the things that are, are the environment that, that contributes to who we are. But when we become Christians, we have a new origin story because basically the old man dies and the new man lives. I mean, that's yeah. that's very scriptural. Uh, Romans 6, 6, so we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that that's the body it. of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So we, be, we basically give up our old origin story and we come up with a new origin story. And additionally in scripture, it says in Matthew nineteen twenty nine. it says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And a similar passage in Luke 14, 26 to 27 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So these are both the words of Jesus. And it's it's interesting to me that as Christians, we actually, we lose our old origin story. And in that loss, because it is a loss, we have to give up things that mean something to us. 
we inherit the family of God, which is a hundredfold more than what we had uh, in in the flesh. And so it's a new origin story, basically. We, yeah, we become yeah, new people, and uh, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful picture. And it can be a hard. It can be. It could be a pretty hardcore, hardcore origin story too. By by the way, Christ lays it out. I just heard a testimony today, in fact, of a gentleman who was raised by one of the leading legal representatives of the uh, atheists, the Free Thinkers Association, from like you know twenty years ago, and he his father was a very vocal and very outspoken, very nationally known atheist. And he himself grew up and became a Christian and was a pastor in a Baptist church. <laughs> and it just, it struck me just now as, as we were talking about our new origin story is that it doesn't matter who our parents are. And that can cause pain when, when you leave something that your father holds that dearly that he's outspoken about it nationally and you leave that behind and you and you follow Christ instead that is literally hating your father to follow Christ and, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of pain in that but at the same time that's what we're called to do as Christians and we gain so much more out of it by leaving behind those things that tie us to the flesh yeah all right so the last theme that uh really comes out of this movie uh, and Let's face it, there is still a lot of stuff that we could be discussing. Yes. But the last major theme that, that comes out of Spider-Verse is, uh, it's it's said a couple of times, and it, it's a question of, how do you know when you're ready? When will I know I'm ready? You won't. It's a leap of faith. How do I know I'm not going to mess it up again? You won't. Right. It's a leap of faith. There's a difference here between Spider-Verse and the life of the Christians, and that's in where you have your faith. <laughs> Definitely. It's a very common theme in movies now that uh, it, I think it's humanism, right? Where mm -hmm. uh, we trust in humanity that the humanity will find a way. Uh, and it's trust your own Interstellar heart. was a yeah. big one yeah. uh, for humanity will be its own salvation. Uh, trust in yourself, uh, you know, be true to yourself. So common. <laughs> Follow your own heart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but that's not, that is not the way of the Christian. Uh, we know that the heart is deceitful above all things. Mm -hmm. We have to put our faith in God. Psalm 46, one through three, God is our refuge and our strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the sea, though its water roars and foams and the mountains quake in its turmoil. Selah. Uh, yeah. it's, it's just, it is definite that God is where our faith is from. God is, is a recipient. He's the focus of our faith. Mm-hmm. And when we take a leap of faith, we know that God is there to catch us. Yes. <laughs> so in Spider-Verse, in the movie, they they talk about the leap of faith. You won't know that you won't mess it up again. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting that early on when Miles first realizes that he's got spider powers, he goes up to the top of the of the building and he... The leap. And he stands up there and he looks down and he 
and then the next scene you see is him going back down the steps, going back down up down to the street and looking yeah. back up. <laughs> I really appreciated that they used the original Spider-Man comic book to walk us through his exploration of his powers. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting as if you get the Blu-ray. Uh, and I think it's on the digital copy as well. There's an alternate universe version of the film that you can watch in which yeah. they storyboard uh, a different uh, path that the movie takes. And in that different path, he gets bitten by the spider in the presence of his roommate and his roommate helps him discover his powers. Uh. They use a interview with Spider-Man that was done on like a like a news program, like 60 Minutes or something. And his his roommate brings it up on on the computer and they're like using his interview to figure out how to to teach Miles how to be Spider-Man. <laughs> so there's this whole section in there that's not in the feature release. And it's it is storyboarded. It's not actually animated, but it's really fun to yeah. watch. You know, it, it it's interesting uh, from a purely technical standpoint because I bought my copy, uh, my digital copy through Amazon, uh, but I use Movies Anywhere to watch them, mm-hmm. right? And uh, on Amazon, the extras are all tacked on to the end of the sh- the original, uh, the end of the movie. So when you start watching it, it's like a four hour movie if you're watching it through Amazon Prime. Uh, but if you watch it through movies anywhere, you can actually choose each of the each of the extras individually. Um, I just thought that was an interesting uh, difference between the delivery mechanisms. Yeah, yeah, cool. So, uh, uh, some other scriptures that came to mind um, for uh, the leap of faith was: uh, as Christians, we should not be looking ahead and worrying about where God is placing our feet. Second Corinthians five seven for we walk by faith not by sight. We trust that God is going to be there to uh, to have solid ground under our feet. I think back to Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, uh, where he comes to that bridge which turns out to be an optical illusion, mm-hmm. uh, and they reference the leap of faith uh, comment in that scene as well. Uh, and I thought that was one of the best illustrations of the leap of faith that God, it, you can't see the solid ground, but God knows it's there. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, this this next one uh, actually ties back to our hero discussion uh, uh, or disagreement, our hero disagreement. <laughs> uh, Hebrews 11, uh, we had talked about it offline uh, about it being the Hall of the faith. Halls of Faith. faith. Yeah. Hall of Faith. The yeah. Hall of Faith. Yeah. We're, where it lists all the uh, all the people who had extraordinary faith, uh, where they were um, the writers of Hebrews or the writer of Hebrews lists all the people. And uh, Hebrews six uh, says, "Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to Him must believe that He exists, and He is rewarded, and He rewards those who seek Him." That really really speaks to the the fact that uh, our faith has to be in God. Right. We can't put our faith in, in anything or anyone else. Yeah. It's the object of the faith that matters, not what whether you have faith or not. And yeah. you can have you can have faith in the wrong thing. <laughs> it will fail yeah. you. It's when I when I get in my car and I drive to work, I have faith that my car is gonna work. 
But if it doesn't, I know it's God's plan that it doesn't work for some reason. Uh, so that's where my faith actually lies. My faith lies in the creator of the universe <laughs> and and knowing that he uh, he values me so much more than a couple of sparrows. Yeah. This has been a fun discussion, and I would love to see us, you know, talk more about Spider-Verse. It's obvious uh, that we have at least one really big fan of that movie in our discussion group, and perhaps yeah. he will listen to this and speak up to, you know, further the discussion uh, in our discussion group, which you can find on Facebook if you look for Are You Just Watching and look for the group. You can like the page as well. That's where we post all of our episodes as well as our website. I will tell everybody that we have lost our network officially. Uh, our, our, we are now hosting and controlling our website purely independently, which is going to be fun to see how that goes <laughs> without our, our network support and the absolute and amazing uh, podcasting knowledge of Daniel Lewis. I don't. I'm hoping that he'll still allow me to ask him questions occasionally because this is a whole new experience for me to go off completely solo. Well, not solo. I have you, but you know what I mean, Tim. Yeah, I, I, I'm your Ed McMahon. <laughs> Johnny never. Johnny never asked Ed McMahon for technical help. I'm sure of it. <laughs> So we no longer are with Noodle Mix Network, not because we were kicked off, but because Noodle Mix Network is no more. And it's yeah. a sad goodbye uh, to our our affiliates there. And Daniel did a great job with Noodle. Yeah, yeah, he did. And uh, I can't speak to why he dissolved it. I know that there were a lot of things going on that caused it. And if anyone has any questions, they'll have to look him up in his forums and ask him because I, I don't feel mm -hmm. that I'm comfortable speaking to his reasonings. But we could really use your support right now because uh, while we had the, the safety net of the network and Daniel Lewis to kind of save us financially in other ways, we are now doing this completely ourselves. And so if you could find it in your hearts to go to patreon.com slash are you just watching and consider giving us a small monthly gift to help us keep this podcast going. We would really, really appreciate it. You, you know, if there is something that we can do to make this a more enjoyable uh, experience for everybody to, to get people, if there's something we can do to get you more involved, mm -hmm. don't be afraid to let us know in, in social media. We, we, don't, we don't take offense on it. Yeah. We appreciate all the feedback, even the feedback that we disagree with. And, and Eve, you and I disagree on uh, a number of things, but mm -hmm. it all works out so well because it's all to the glory of God. And, right. And that's what we're seeking to do is to, to help people view modern media through a Christian's God-shaped lenses. Yeah. God, yeah. 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 Um, we do want to thank our current supporters uh, who are Amanda, John, Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown II and Peter Chapman, all of which uh, a couple of those have been with us from the beginning of our starting our Patreon campaign. So they have been longtime supporters and we Yay. thank them, thank them very much. Uh, just um, so you know, our feedback number has changed uh, because we lost the, the number we were using before was uh, for the noodle mix general feedback. Um, and this one is ours only. So if you want to call, 513-818-2959 and leave a voicemail. 
Uh, that is our new feedback number. You can also still email feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, we do want you to join our discussion group. And you can also comment on the show notes, which will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 91. And we'll provide a link in our Facebook discussion group to uh, every episode Yes, as we release it. When we post our episodes on Facebook, you do us a wonderful job if you would go ahead and share them uh, to your friends and family as so that they can benefit from our discussions as well. So that that would any promotion that you can do on our behalf would be very helpful to expand our listenership. So we would appreciate that as well. And of course, do like rate and review us and subscribe on iTunes or any of the other places that you get your podcasts. So we we'd appreciate uh, the additional promotion and the reviews because all of that helps us uh, get to a wider listening audience. So uh, thank you for listening. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch.